you have your Bibles, if you would turn in them to Ephesians chapter number 2. Ephesians chapter number 2. Ephesians chapter number 2. We'll begin with verse number 11. Ephesians 2, beginning with verse number 11. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version of God's Holy Word. Ephesians 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near, there it is, by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access and one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have your seats. We've been in this series of studying through the book of Ephesians. And if you have children, young students here in the service today, we do have uh, bulletins specifically for them that they are welcome to to help them remain engaged during the sermon. The first week we heard about all the spiritual blessings that God has granted to us. God has selected us. The Son has redeemed us, and the Spirit has sealed us. 
Then the next week, Paul prays. And one of the things that he prays is that his readers would know the power of God. He then moves on in the beginning of Ephesians chapter 2 to demonstrate the power of God, not only through God raising Jesus from the dead, but also in resurrecting believers individually. Because we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God being rich in mercy because the love for which he loved us, his great love, has made us alive together with Christ. We are no longer dead, but we are alive because of Jesus Christ. So he, he, Paul has said the power of God has been demonstrated through how he, G, Jesus was raised from the dead, but the power of God is also manifest in how he's brought new life into dead people. Now he goes from the power of God uh, uh, that they experienced individually now to have the power of God is manifested in them corporately as a body, as the church. So let's see this. Let's study this together. Paul begins Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse 11, with a call for, for the Gentile believers in particular, specifically to remember, here it is, their past condition. He wants them to remember their past condition. Paul opens this section of Scripture using a literary form called an amnesis amnesis, which is the remembering of past events or a previous existence. Paul here calls on the Gentiles in particular to remember their past condition. This, this ideal of amnesis does not, uh, anamnesis does not, uh, is not original with Paul, but it's something that God himself originated. If you remember, God brought the children of Israel uh, um, out of Egypt, and after he brought them out of Egypt, he instituted a meal called the Passover. And in that meal called the Passover, they were to observe that meal annually. And God told Moses that the day of the Passover was to be a memorial day. And when Moses told the congregation, he said these words. Here it is. Remember, this day in which you came out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. Not only did God use this, this call to remember, but Jesus himself, the Son of God, gave a command to remember. When, when Jesus was partaking the, the, the Passover with his Jewish disciples, he told them that he was giving this meal a new meaning. That new meaning being 
Now, now that meal is now called the Lord's Supper. He gave them bread and he gave them the cup that was filled with wine. And he told them that they would partake of this meal. And every time they were to do it, they were to do this in remembrance of me. So like God and like Jesus, Paul now calls on these Gentile Christians to remember their past condition. The question that must be asked is, why do we need to remember the past? Simply because we forget. Friends, we as Christians suffer at times from a condition which some have called spiritual amnesia. We forget what God has done for us in the past because of challenging, trying, present circumstances. Friends, we have a tendency to focus so much on our present situation that we fail to appreciate God's past goodness. Many of us have heard that we shouldn't dwell on the past, and I'm convinced that that is appropriate advice on times, but, it, but sometimes we, we need to be told, don't dwell on the present. The, the old saints, they understood this concept of remembering what the Lord has done for you because during praise and worship, they would sing a song that said, Jesus, I'll never forget what you've done for me. Jesus, I'll never forget how you set me free. Jesus, I'll never forget how you brought me out. Jesus, I'll never forget. No, no, never. Matter of fact, they, they, they start asking one another in this song, how can I forget <laughs> what you've done for me? How could I forget how you set me free? How can I forget how you brought me out? And then they would cry out together again, Jesus, I'll never forget. No, no, never. And I'm convinced that there is somebody in this room on this morning that needs to remember what the Lord has done for them in the past. You, you need to remember how the Lord has set you free. You need to remember how the Lord has brought you out. And maybe if you remembered his past acts, that would give you gratitude and endurance for this present time. Friends, this is not something that I just felt like needed to be preached. This is something I have recently experienced. Can I testify for a moment? Who y'all nosy? I can just go back three weeks, even though that's the past, but it's currently the present circumstance that I'm experiencing. Three weeks ago, the baby gets sick. She has an ear infection. Now, it, it, it's not that bad because I'm not experiencing it. But she, for reasons outside of our control, she lost her insurance. And because the baby needs, care she needs, still has to take her to the doctor. So the baby's sick, no insurance, pay out of pocket. All right. God is good. He'll make a way. But wait. Then the main bathroom 
I start experiencing plumbing issues. Bathtub won't drain. Toilet won't flush like it's supposed to. It's the main bathroom that the kids used. Two problems. One, I'm now I have to call a plumber and pay him to fix this problem. So additional money has to be spent on top of taking, taking care of the baby and her ear infection. But now I'm starting to feel frustrated with myself. Now I'm starting to have an identity crisis, Russ. Because actually, about a month ago, I had a flat tire. The wife had already left, gone to, uh, these two are connected, you'll see in a minute. The wife had left, gone to work, so I'm left there with a flat tire, and I have never been taught how to change a flat tire. I didn't have a pops in my life. My mom didn't know how to do it, so nobody taught me how to change a flat tire. And so I'm looking at this flat tire, and this flat tire is looking at me like, what you going to do? To make this even more challenging, it's just me and Lily. No, uh uh-uh, not all. Because Lily's not just going to sit there and just wait on you to fix the problem. She's going to try to help you fix the problem. On top of that, guess what was happening that day weather-wise? It was raining. So I'm in the rain with this flat tire that I cannot fix, that I don't know how to fix, with this child who wants to go play in the mud. And like you said, what? Now I'm having an identity crisis. I'm a man that can't fix a flat tire. I'm a man that can't just drain Fix the drains in his, his, his bathroom, just snake it out. Now I'm questioning, questioning my masculinity. And it's bringing me down. So you got this flat tire that needs to be fixed. It took me two hours, but I did change the flat tire. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. What? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Exactly, you too. He's a father to the fatherless. Yes, he is. <laughs> so I got this flat tire that I can't fix. Lily's six, no insurance, plumbing issues. I'm questioning now my manhood, my masculinity, because a man ought to be able to do these things, you know, stereotypically. And then here comes the good stuff. That same car with the flat tire, I take Lily to the doctor while we're getting, then we get to the doctor, everything's taken care of, we're getting ready to leave. I put it in in reverse, and it stalls on me. In the middle of the parking lot at the doctor's office, my car just stalls on me. Okay, Send it to the the auto mechanic, and they just say, hey, essentially, long story short, you need a new engine. And I kind of like want to tell them, I'm a pastor. Do I look like I got new engine money? Then, so now we're down to one car. That's four, four kids, six people total in my house, four kids that all got to be different places. Lily goes t- 
to the center on the west side. DJ has practice. Lily, I mean, Brianna has basketball practice. Devin, we'll talk about Devin later, but Devin's part of our family too. He's got somewhere to be. The one card that we're not left with, take my wife to graduation, pick, pick her up, come home. She says, I'm trying to put some dinner together. And she says, I hear this hissing sound in the garage. Now, the one car that we have has a flat tire, too. It took me two hours to change a flat tire on the sedan. How long do you think it's going to take me to change it on an SUV? Oh, but I've got more. I'm sleeping, and at 5.30, y'all, I'm asleep. Actually, I did not sleep. Monday night, I, I was in the bed, and I did, not, I did not fall asleep. So I'm just laying in the bed there, uh, and I'm just laying there. And then finally around 5.30, 5.27, I close my eyes, and I'm like, okay, I'm about to sleep. I'm about to fall asleep. I'm about to fall asleep. Then all of a sudden, I'm like, uh-uh, somebody else is in this room. Somebody's, is that kind of, did she get up early? Because my wife loves her sleep. She doesn't wake up early. <laughs> yeah, she believes Jesus got up early, so she didn't have to. So, <laughs> so. I'm like, wait a minute, I feel like there's another presence in this room. And all of a sudden, I hear this, I think the window in the basement, deep voice like mine is BJ, I think the window in the basement has uh, broken and water is all over the basement. By this point, I'm just done. I literally tell people, Maybe the world would be a better place without me. While I'm cleaning out my basement, I get the bids back for how much it's going to cost to do all the things that we want to do to this building. And it's high, higher than we expected. So I'm just discouraged now. And if I can just be completely authentic, because Yes, I went to seminary. Yes, I'm your pastor. But I have a flesh that gets weak as well. I have a soul and a spirit that gets weak and worn out. And I told Emily one day, I said, maybe the bridge would be better off without me. I'm crying out to God. And actually, I'm complaining to God. I'm saying, God, my soul is weak and you've got to do something. I'm ready to give up. I'm ready to give out. I'm ready to give in. And it says as if God spiritually slaps me on the back of my head. And it's like he starts working these things in reverse order. He, he, he reminds me, do you remember two years ago? Your basement flooded. And then the saints of God, when they found out, they flooded your home and started trying to help repair and fix your home. If I did it then, it's as if God reminded me that, that this is not the first time that it seemed like you had more financial problems than you had financial means to minister. This is not the first time. Remember back in 2014 when you had the same problems? You couldn't pay your mortgage. You had all these problems. Not sure where the next meal was going to come from. Do you remember how I provided then? 
And God used that moment to prepare this sermon for me, to call on me to remember his past faithfulness. In the present church, we oftentimes dwell so much on the present circumstances that we forget God's past acts of faithfulness and goodness. And Paul knows this, and so he says, you Gentiles, you people at the bridge church, remember. And those times where you are discouraged, those times where you are frustrated, those times where you are tempted to throw in the towel, you must remember the old saints when they would say, Jesus, I'll never forget. Even in the times where your basement is flooded, remember that Jesus died on your behalf. Even when you have a flat tire, remember Jesus was buried on your behalf. Even when your car dies and needs a new engine, you better remember that he got up bright early Sunday morning. Even when you have plumbing issues, remember that Jesus is for you. You are now a child of God. Remember what he's done then to give you fuel. For your presence. So Paul calls on them to remember. Remember. What specifically are they to remember? He says, remember you Gentiles. You ethne. You ethnic ones. You Gentiles. Recall, remember that you were called the uncircumcision. That was a derogatory term. It was belittling. You were called names. Remember that you were also separated from Christ. You were without Christ. Remember that you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, which means that they lacked citizenship and were outside the sphere of God's blessings, his covenant blessings. Remember that you were strangers to the covenants of promise. And therefore, you were without hope and without God. He says, remember that. Then all of a sudden, verse 13 comes. But now. It's almost as Paul, it's, it, actually Paul does the same thing that he just did in, in chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. Remember, you were dead in your trespasses and sins and whence you formerly walked according to the, pre, uh, the age of this world. And by nature were children of wrath. Then verse, comes, says, and he's, verse 4 comes and he says, but God. Now here in this second section, he talks about what you used to be. And now he brings that divine contrastive conjunction, but now. That word, but, it's a contrastive conjunction. It's a, what I call a transformative conjunction. It denotes that everything before it is completely opposite of what is about to come. Friends, it's a complete turn of events. Paul says, God has turned things around for you Gentiles. You are not what you used to be. A wonderful change has come over you. God has turned it around for you. 
Church, is that not the testimony of every born-again believer? I'm not what I used to be, but I've been changed by the power of God, and I continue to be changed by the power of God. Is it not the testimony of every born-again believer that God picked us up, turned us around, and placed us on solid ground? Is it not the testimony of every born-again believer that we serve a God who turns our situations around? Is it not the testimony of every born-again believer that we can say, I'm not what I used to be, but I'm no longer dead in sin, but now I'm alive alive in Christ. I'm no, no longer a child of wrath, but now I'm a child of God. God turned that thing around. Paul, he goes on to explain in verse 13, in the following verses, how God turned things around for them. So he moves from their past condition now to their new status. He says, you were far off, but now you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. Not only have you been uh, brought near, but you also now are at peace with one another. H hear this, hear this, hear this. Salvation not only has a vertical dimension between us and God, salvation also has a horizontal dimension. In other words, not only does salvation give us peace with God or put us at peace with God, but because we are saved, because we are united with Christ, we are now or we can be at peace with one another. How has this peace come about? Paul says he himself, Jesus himself is our peace. That makes sense because he is the prince of peace. Paul says, Jesus has now, in, in Christ, the Jew and the Gentile are now one. <laughs> Jesus, Paul says, has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Now, commentators have spilled a lot of ink about what this dividing wall is. Some say this dividing wall refers to the actual wall in the Jerusalem temple precincts that separated the court of Gentiles from the court of Jews. Matter of fact, in this Jerusalem temple, there was an inscription that, that, that prohibited the entrance of the foreigner under the threat of the death penalty. Others say, that this dividing wall refers to the curtain in the Jerusalem temple between the holy place and the holy of holies. And Jesus broke down that wall, metaphorical wall, 
that temple when he died. If you remember the, the, the commentary, when Jesus died on the cross, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Another theory is that the dividing wall of hostility refers to the Mosaic law. They argue that based on the context because verse 15 says that Christ brought down the wall by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Now, because of Emmanuel's praise break, I don't have time to argue for which theory is best. The point is that whatever Whatever was the cause of the division between the Jews and the Gentiles, Christ has now destroyed it. And friends, that's good news. But on the other hand, I must preach this with a broken heart. Why? Do I preach this with a broken heart? Because what Christ has brought down, what Christ has destroyed, the church keeps erecting. Mm -hmm. What do you mean, preacher? We erect walls, dividing walls, primarily through preferences. Preferences of race and ethnicity. I want to go to a black church. I want to go to a white church. Preferences of preacher. Preferences of political affiliation. I want to go to a Republican church. I want to go to a Democratic church. I want to go to a Libertarian church. Preferences of musical styles. I want to go to a church where there's only gospel music. Or I want to go to a church where there's only contemporary Christian. Or I want to go to a church where there's only hymns. Preferences of worship styles. I want to go to a church that's more expressive. I want to go to a church that's more stoic. We keep erecting walls to divide what Christ died for. And I'm convinced, friends, today some of us need to bring our preferences to the altar so that those preferences can die and stay dead. We need to repent of the preferences that have perpetuated uh, separation and segregation in the church. Paul says, now these two in Christ have been reconciled. And now... Because as a result of this new recon- of this reconciliation, there's now a new creation. Look at verse 15. There's a purpose clause. That he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace. And Christ, Jew and Gentile, are now one new man. This, this, this idea of newness, it, it, it's good. I use an illustration from another preacher. He says that this idea of newness, what this word new refers to, for instance, right now, I have a loaner vehicle. It is a, mm, let's just make up something, 2019 Honda Civic Sport Touring. Like if you want to race, 
I can do that right now. <laughs> I feel fancy. That's the 2019 version. It's new in the sense that it's different from the 2018. But here's the thing. It's still a car. It's still on four wheels. It still has the basic function of getting me from point A to point B. All they did was change some of the features. Maybe some of the guts of the car. It's new and that it's a new model. But when Ford created, invented, what did he invent? The model, that was something that had, we had never seen before. That's how the word new is used here in this context. One new man, something that we had never seen or experienced before. In Christ, because of the reconciliation that we have, we have a, Christ has created a new humanity. We are now one new man. The Christians of old used to call this one new man the third race. And this third race, church, must take precedent of the first and second race. The first being the human race, the second being whatever uh, uh, ethnic affiliation or ethnicity we are. And notice what Paul says. He says this one new man has been created, major words, in place of the two. Why I point that out? Because Jesus took our place on Calvary. He became our substitute on, 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 at Calvary. We ought to see ourselves as followers of Christ, as united with Christ. That's the primary race that we ought to identify with. Because we see ourselves as this one new man, we now can go to church with people that don't look like us, talk like us, vote like us, and all the other things like us. The problem in the church is that we hold near and dear to our hearts other identities, such as ethnocentrism, politicism, nationalism, feminism, sexism. Friends, for a believer to elevate any other identity over their identity in Christ is outright idolatry. Let's move on. Verse 16, he says, It might reconcile us both to God and one body through the cross, therefore killing the hostility. Notice verse 16, that if racial reconciliation is to occur, it begins at the foot of the cross. Not the Oval Office in the White House, not the chambers of Congress, not in random cross-cultural events. It starts at the foot of the cross. 
friends, that's why the church is uniquely qualified to model and champion racial reconciliation. We have the right man, Jesus. We have the right message, the gospel. And we have the right methods, grace. Finally, Paul says, now let me give you your present privileges. He says, you are now Gentiles and Jews. You're now one nation. Verse 19, we're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. They now have all the rights and privileges that come from being a full citizen in the kingdom of God. Not only are you one nation, but you're also one family. Verse 19, we're all members of the household of God. They are full members of the family of God. They're not stepchildren. They're not illegitimate children. They're not children that daddy don't tell nobody about. They have been born of God. They have been adopted into the family of God. They now have full access to the Father so that they can boldly approach his throne. They are now co-heirs with Christ. They have full rights to an inheritance from the Father. Like those Jews and Gentiles, all of God's children, we are a family. That's what the church is, a family. We have one Father. The church is family. We must love one another care for one another, even admonish one another. That means, that word means to warn, to instruct. As family, we also will have to forgive one another, pray for one another, encourage one another. Not only are they one nation, not only are they one family, but as the church now, this one new man, they are now one temple. Verse 21, until you grow into a holy temple in the Lord, in him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Right before that, he said Jesus is the cornerstone of this temple. The cornerstone was the most significant stone in the foundation of a building. It tied all the walls together. And Paul says Jesus is the chief cornerstone. It is because of him and through him that all stones exist and hold together. It's because of him that even the apostles and the prophets are able to lay a foundation for the church. They laid that foundation through the preaching of the gospel and dispensing of God's special revelation, which we call scripture. But we too, church, are living stones. And God is still adding stones to this wonderful spiritual building called the church. And God now dwells with his people. That's why he says we're going into a holy temple. The temple was the place of God's presence. Now, God dwells in his church. Not in a building like this, but in us. The presence of God resides 
in each and every believer. How? Through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. God has not left us. He is still with us. Jesus is with us. Through the Holy Spirit, Jesus is now the cornerstone. He always has been, continues to be. And how do we respond to this word today? Worship team, you can start making your way back. The one command in this text is to remember. Remember. So one easy application for us today is to simply take some time to Remember what God has done for us. Well, how, how he has saved us from his own wrath. How, how he gave his one and only son. Paul says, remember. Some of us don't only need to remember how God, what God has done for us spiritually. But we need to take the time, and I'm preaching to myself, to remember God's past acts of faithfulness and goodness and kindness towards us during trying times. For some people, that may mean uh, uh, keeping a journal. Or it may be something that you can just do mentally. Or maybe it's something that you can help. Be, that's a ministry that you can provide to others to hold them accountable for remembering how God has worked in the past for them. Remember that this God is unchanging, that if he's faithful, if he was faithful then, he's faithful now. But remembering our past also should move us to gratitude, to thankfulness appreciation. We serve a God who changes situations, who changes, who's changed us. But we also need to be ministers of reconciliation. We need to preach the gospel of reconciliation. Man needs to be reconciled to God, their creator, their maker, because they've been separated, alienated him because of trespasses and sin. That's our ministry. But we also need to be people who are reconciled to one another, regardless of our differences. For some, it's, there's some, there's some preferences that I still need to kill. Preferences. Like children in youth ministry. That seemed like it came from out of nowhere. But people, not only do they prefer certain worship styles, but they prefer certain amenities when it comes to children in youth ministry. And it's hurting the church at large. Not just the bridge church. 
We're experiencing consumerism in the church because of preferences. And I think what we need to do is put those things to death. All of this is because of Jesus, our cornerstone. For somebody, the application today is you need to be at peace with God. And Jesus has already made a way. The call to you is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe, trust, put all your confidence and faith in him and him alone. You will be at peace with God. You will have eternal life. You will be a full citizen of God's kingdom. You will be a part of God's church. And God will dwell, temple in you. Let's stand.